Moncrief on News Talk. Joanna Fortune joins us uh, once again. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Here's your first question. My three-year-old daughter is struggling to adapt to life with her one-year-old sister, who has recently started to walk. The trouble is that this is the first time her sister is trying to actively play with her toys. The toddler repeatedly claims that all the toys belong to her and won't allow the baby near them. If the baby does touch them, then she will hit her, bite her and kick her. No matter how many times we admonish her, she doesn't learn not to do this to her sister. It's driving us up the wall. How do we get her to stop hitting the baby? I I would love if I could answer that in one sentence because I honestly think I could retire. Oh no, absolutely. We'd never you know, see you again. Never. No. That's me telling you. Or you might like wave from your yeah. yacht. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I totally get it. But you know who else is having to adapt to life is parents. Mm. Adapting to life with two teetering into toddlers. Yeah. Even the one-year-old is on the cusp of that. So you're going to have this because you really have two children who aren't of the age of reason just yet. Mm. Okay. And there's this whole thing because that your three-year-old is finding this hard because it's hard. You know, she suddenly has a competitor in her world, somebody who wants her stuff. And it's this ownership, isn't it? It's your mind. This is mine, mine, Mm. mine, mine, not yours. Because in terms of play development, they're still it takes them until they're in school age to be able to do that cooperative play, for want of a better phrase, where, you know, you have to give and take, negotiate boundaries. You have to work it out in order to sustain the connection with another person. I wouldn't expect that of a three year old. Now, granted, how the three-year-old is handling this is with particular physical response. And I do get as parents going, that's all grand and interesting, Joanna, but they're kicking lumps here. So Mm. what am I going to do? I mean, all you can really do is they're both very young is distraction and redirection. But I would say acknowledge to her it is her toy. You know, we do this thing very often with children that we would never do as an adult. Like if I saw you in the street and you had a lovely new phone and I said, hi, will you share your phone with me? You're going to say no. (laughs) And I would have to accept that. But with children, we're like, share, share. And sharing is important. Mm. But we often want the result of sharing without the empathy of it's a hard thing to do. Mm. And when I feel my stuff is mine and giving it to the one year old who might break it, then I'll be upset. And I never wanted her to have it to begin with. So there's a whole lot that goes on there. You can acknowledge I know it's yours and I know when you're finished playing with it that you will give her a go because you're such a kind girl. Yeah. And you put it that way. Mm. um, And there's a whole body of research behind if you instead of insisting your child give their whatever it is to their sibling or another child that you say when you're finished, you will choose to do it. I know this about you. They're more likely to play with it for another minute or two and then give it on their terms. So they have that choice and control. And you could do that and persist with it. I would also have, you know, because all kids have a few special toys. That's very much their things. Now, that will last a few months and then there's new special things very often. But whatever her preferred things are, they can be hers. She's allowed to have stuff that's hers. And the same for the baby. But I think also then have a basket or whatever arrangement you want of shared family toys. Everyone can play with them. Nobody owns them. Mm. And that's where... The two of them, when they're together, that's where the things can be drawn from. I think as well, promote a bit of playing together. Now, you're going to have to be in the thick of that as the parent. That's you playing with them, you know, which at their age would be things like singing together, dancing together, call it family play, call it all together play. But really reframing for her that there is an all togetherness now in the family. And I also think, by the way, Lauren Child, who is a well-known 
children's writer, does the whole, you know, Charlie and Lola books and all of that that many parents would know. But she has a book called The New Small Person, which is from the perspective of the slightly older child having to negotiate. (laughs) Well, who is this new small person taking over my life and taking everything from me? And that might be a nice, fun book, even to read as parents and get our perspective in. But mind your own reactions to this as well, because this is demanding. This is a busy, active house with two small children. And when they're fighting with each other and you're pulled in all the time, we can get frazzled and frustrated. So be careful that you don't expect too much of a three year old and you're, well, I've told you to stop. Why aren't you just doing it's because they're three. Yeah. Would it be just keep them in separate parts of the house until they're about six? In their their own corners and ding, ding, ding. (laughs) Bring them back together when they're 18. You've got a sister. I forgot to tell you. Because you were knocking lumps out of each other. But there is that a three year old is physically much bigger and stronger than a one year old. So there is the safety issue and she really could. So I totally get the, the very valid concern. But it is a bit like having eyes in the back of your head at the moment and running interference on this redirection and distraction, promoting together play and what are shared toys and naming them as such and just keeping an eye on this. It really is. That is the answer, I'm afraid. Yeah. Ever since our 13 year old went off to boarding school last September, we have felt increasingly disconnected from him. He comes home once a month for a three night stay and we see him on occasional Sundays for lunch too. As a dad, I feel like these early teenage years are a really changing time, a challenging time for a boy and I won't be able to help him if he needs it. However, he's often distant on the phone with us and he gets frustrated if we don't know what's going on in his life. Equally, we feel upset constantly having to ask him about what he's up to and how are things going. It's the only way we have of finding out about his life. We would appreciate some advice. Do you know, Mm. you're saying you feel disconnected, but I think it sounds like you miss him. Like yeah, you, you actually yeah. miss him around the house and you miss having that daily connection because, you know, and I've said this before here, Jean, but like kids at this age, one of the de- developmental tasks of adolescence is to achieve autonomy from their parents. Mm. And as part of that, teenagers overtly crave, seek and need more privacy. So as parents, we know less and want to know more. So it can, especially in this situation, become a bit like we've become interrogators. We're not talking, we're Q&Aing our kids. Mm. What's this? What are you doing? Where'd you go? Who'd you see? What you do? And you've a teenager going, I don't want to tell you any of this. So why don't you just know it? I don't know. I don't want to talk. And talking on the phone is a highly neglected social skill these days. You know, it might be, you know, it may not be his most comfortable form of communication. So, I'm, you know, I'm assuming and I am assuming and I stand to be corrected. He has a phone in school. He may not, by the way. So I just if he has a smartphone and has access at set times of the day to WhatsApp or the Internet, have a family WhatsApp group where you are all proactively sharing nuggets of information what's Mm. going on so that you're promoting connection with that. And with those three days a month that he is home with you, really consider it in terms of quality time over quantity time. So what are you doing with those three days? And I don't mean jam pack because he may want to see local friends and do stuff as well, which again is really normal. And I think, you know, when when you think about this in boarding school, and I didn't go to boarding school, okay, so this is very, maybe some of the listeners did and would know this, but 
he's in with a community of kids, older kids, teachers, teachers who live on campus during the year as well, that he's going to experience community and containment in the residential setting of school environment. So some of what would typically be contained in the family unit is being transferred to the school community for him because that's where he's spending all day, every day and most of his time, not with you but away from you. So I think one of the things you could do is you might feel on the outside looking in, but it doesn't mean that you're not his, still his parents and that you may have to, in, ter- in terms of supporting his experiences, you may have to, I think, link with the school, get an idea of what is happening, what's on the schedule so that you can proactively show awareness and how did the rugby match go? How did the swimming thing go? Mm. How did the maths test go? That Because he's saying you should know these things. Is he right? Is there a way you could know these things without asking him? And that at least you've an idea. And again, try to be curious over interrogating because we do that line between interested and intrusive and adolescents can be very, very fine. I think that's going to be that you show knowledge, that you show awareness of his life, um, that he feels that you're still connected and linked in. Also, send a few care packages. They don't have to be fancy. In fact, they probably shouldn't be. But they can be things just randomly that you send during the month when there's a couple of weeks when you're not seeing him Mm. that has his favourite chocolate bar or his favourite packet of biscuits or his favourite thing that that shows I know what your favourite things are. I hold you in mind. You are held in my mind, even though we're apart. Small actions like that. But I do think connecting in with the school community and finding out what you need to know and how that can shape the conversation and communication. But even if he was under your roof, he would probably tell you quite little about what's going on in his life. It's just you'd physically have access to him and you'd be able to see, oh, he's in good form, bad form. He came in in this mood or that mood. You'd have more casual contact Mm, and connection. And that's the piece that's missing here. Uh, So, yes, with that in mind, I'll, I'll paraphrase the many texts that have come in already. Uh, the first sentence was, ever since our 13-year-old went off to boarding school, we have felt increasingly disconnected from him. Well, duh, he's moved out. He has. He's a 13-year-old boy mm. who's moved out of the house. No wonder you're disconnected. From Absolutely. Him. And, I, and I think that's why I started by saying, I think you miss him. And that's yeah. how this sounds, like you and actually miss he, him. And maybe he misses, maybe you should know means you should know if you didn't send me off to boarding school. And he's only seeing them once a month. And it's three days. It's it's very little Crikey. of his time. Yeah. Now, I don't know where you're based in the country. I don't yeah. know what access to school. You know, you could be living somewhere where there's no option but to go to boarding school. And people make all kinds of decisions and choices about education that suits their family. But I also think manage your expectations because you quite literally can't have it every which way. You know, like there is an adolescent piece to this that's developmental. And then there's the distance piece that he's 13 and he's moved out. And it's still the first year. You actually, as a family, you may find your rhythm with this when you're next year. And it is okay to review your decisions as a family and say, is this the right way for us? Because there's something in as a dad that this dad is saying the early teenage years are really challenging time for a boy. So there's you are you want to be his person. You want Mm. to be his support. Are there ways that you could visit him? There may not be, by the way, again, to do with distance and location or school rules. Are there other ways of sustaining that connection with him, even if it's talking about sports or about art or about whatever he books, whatever he's interested in or sending him a podcast link going, I think you'd like this. I listened to it. Different ways of promoting connection 
during that separation. Yeah. But acknowledging this is a separation. Yeah. Oh, she summons sex in to say, uh, remove the child from boarding. Well, we don't know the specifics of their family setup. Uh, that they say, uh, I left after the junior search to come home. Best thing ever. Uh, that was their specific experience of boarding school. Our 11-year-old twins no longer want to share a bedroom. The trouble is that my husband now uses the third bedroom as a home office. So we're at a loss as to how to deal with the situation. They have shared the room their entire lives and have always managed well. Then during the pandemic, we noticed friction developing. They piled the furniture in the middle of the room to create a division. On another occasion, they hung sheets from the ceiling to make a screen that separated them. One girl is a night owl and wants the lights on so she can read. The other girl claims she needs more space to breathe. What techniques would you suggest to try and make them happy to share this space? I mean, now I'm going to have to call this one because you do know what to do. You don't have a third bedroom. Yeah. You have two bedrooms and a home office. So they can want their own rooms, but you don't have it to give them. So the Mm. answer is no. And they don't have to like that. And I think the question here is really, how do I handle the fact that they're not going to like that we can't give them a room each? And a room each is is not, it's a privilege. It's not an entitlement. And, you know, lots of kids grow up sharing bedrooms. You know, did it myself. You know, and it doesn't mean I loved it. And it didn't mean I didn't want to turf my sibling out of that room so I could have, I love this space to breathe. I'm going to use that from (laughs) now on. Um, But this is how you're going to have to frame it. The other thing that I I really like about this is these twins, they're very creative, aren't they? Like they're, the, the script, like, I because, love this. Because I, I I was kind of thinking, that's the kind of solution you'd come up with for them. You know, know. They're, they're, they're halfway like, there themselves. I actually was reading this going, so they're not getting on. They're recognising they're not getting on. They have different patterns. They're recognising that about each other. They're looking for separate rooms, all valid so far. Mm. They can't have it. They've put for the furniture now toppling over, maybe not. But then they corrected <laughs> yeah, it to the danger. sheets, you know, hanging sheets. So they're finding ways of creating a space within the space. I don't think they need you to get involved in that. I would leave the two 11 year olds to keep working that out. There is something about having a night owl who wants the lights on. That's super annoying. Anyone who shares a room with anyone knows if someone wants to leave the light on longer. It is annoying. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I wonder, and there are ways you can do that. Could there be a beanbag that is in the hallway, the landing, wherever your layout of your house, that she can sit and do her reading and simply go into the room to go to bed at night? Okay. Also, you can get one of those little book clamps, you know, those little um, bendy. The clip on ones. Yeah, the clip on ones where she could read a few pages of her book without a light disturbing her siblings. So there are some mini solutions for that or responses. And the one who needs more space to breathe, um, like where else in the house could she have that space? (laughs) You know, like if she would benefit from 15, 20 minutes of alone time just to kind of recalibrate, ground herself. Could she stay down, if you're in a two-story house, could she stay downstairs while the other one's upstairs getting ready and doing her reading? Mm. She gets her space, this one gets to read, and then they're both going to bed. And I don't say that to make it sound simple because I'm sure these 11-year-olds have come up with 10 reasons why that isn't a solution for you. But if you've made an attempt at, I wonder, could you do this? I wonder if we tried that. And they're like, no, no. And go say, okay, well, that's me out of wondering. So I'm going to leave you guys to work that out. Mm -hmm. And they will work it out. Uh, I've twins. The one who doesn't like light wears a fun Disney eye mask. You can pop a curtain on the lower mm. bunk. Also 11 years old, uh, uh, says uh, uh, says his texter. Both really good solutions. Yeah. The the thing is, though, is I mean, is this a thing with with in, in the same way we were talking about, you know, yeah. uh, when you become a teen, you start you're moving away mm-hmm. from the parents. Do twins also go through a period of moving away from each other? 
and it may be because they've never been alone have they you know so you're always with somebody and you've you're the same peer age so you Mm. don't even have that degree of separation that other siblings, non non multiple yeah. siblings would have, but also they're different people, and they're both coming into that preteen, pre adolescent stage, and changes are happening in their internal as much as external world, and yeah, they're coming up to that age where I'm going to be really diplomatic. You know, sometimes people become less pleasing to live with, and we just have to get over that, <laughs> you know, to a large degree. Yes, that, yeah. But I think from a parenting point of view, what you want to do is avoid being pulled in as the referee. Because you will lose every time because no matter what decision you make, the other will accuse you of always taking the opposite, the opposite one side. Yeah. And they'll both do that. And you'll end up then they'll both turn on you. So it's you can offer. I wonder about this. And how about we try? Okay, you guys work it out. And they're showing you they have capacity to come up with solutions. They might not always work. But I think some small changes might address a couple of the things you've named. But overall, they're going to have to come to a way of how do you manage sharing a space at night. Yeah. Might this get a bit worse before it gets better? Well, they're coming into an age where it absolutely might. But it also might be because their bedroom isn't their own, um, that the bedroom is somewhere they simply go to sleep. Yeah. So, you know, if you want other Mm. space in the house, take it, but you don't own the bedroom, you know, because and I can feel like kids do like to go to the retreat to their own bedroom for that space. But also they don't have their own bedroom. So if they can't share it or they can't come to a timetable arrangement where you take the room for this time, I'll take it for another chunk of time and we respect each other's boundaries, then that space is available elsewhere that they can find. Yeah. I blame American television for this because then those kind of shows that they would be watching, probably, you know, 11 year olds have massive bedrooms, often with a window where you can kind of step out and sit on a porch and look at the stars. Or climb down a trellis and get up to adventures. Yes, Yes. all that kind of thing. It's it's, um, uh, fantasy. It's fantasy. And it's not real. No, it's not real. But like, I mean, I watch these things and envy their bedrooms as well. And I'm like, you know, a grown up. Ah, really? Right. Our last question is this. Our 14 year old boy is very environmentally conscious. He gives out to my wife and I if we don't recycle everything correctly. He won't allow us to buy him new clothes. He refused a birthday gift of trainers from his uncle because he said their carbon footprint was unethical. While we encourage him to be eco-aware, we are concerned that he may be starting to suffer from eco-anxiety. He's increasingly withdrawn and overly focused on green issues. He despairs about climate change and doesn't allow himself to take a break from it. He finds it very difficult to relax or even even have a laugh with us about things. He has lost his sweet sense of humour that he once had. We're really worried for him and would appreciate your advice. I hear about this more often than you think and increasingly so. And I was listening to this station earlier on and somebody was talking about climate as well. And this is a real concern. So this isn't something you can say to him. Ah, don't be worried about it. There is cause for worry and there is this piece of we want children to have fact based information so that they can make the changes necessary. But we don't want that to be so fear inducing that it actually paralyzes them and drives the anxiety. For example, I I quite admire this kid's belief and passion that he could turn down a gift of trainers Mm. and that he knew the company's in questions carbon footprint support him in in sourcing a carbon neutral alternative. There are carbon neutral alternatives in terms of the trainer industry. And they may be slightly more expensive or significantly more expensive. (laughs) But again, maybe that's about 
money towards those and I will save up for them and be happy with what I get then. You know, so there are kind of practical ways I'm going. He knows a lot. So empower him if you're not recycling correctly to help you to learn better and he can learn with you. The Climate change is frightening enough, but what you need to know is that you're not alone in the fear. You're not the only one worried about it because if everybody's not suitably worried, then you have to worry more about the fact that they're not worried. Yeah. So he's not alone in this. And, you know, I wonder as well, would he benefit from meeting with an activist group, a lobby group, someone like Friends of the Earth, who could really validate his concerns and root them in science, but also look at proactive solutions. Here's what's happening. Here's what we're looking for. Here's policy change we're pushing and fighting for. And linking in with people or the youth arm of the Green Party who can give you information like that. I think that could be empowering for him and he would find his tribe. You know, he would find a connection with people who've shared passion and interest. I did do a podcast episode on eco-anxiety because I hear about it so much and I'm going to share that later on 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 Instagram. I'll put out a link for that um, because I think there's a few nuggets in that that might be helpful. You do want to highlight solutions, but when we do that, Sean, we have to be careful that we're not minimising the cause for concern. It's about acknowledging the worry, framing it within the science and focusing on proactive alternatives and solutions. So, yes, this is a problem. Here's what we can do about it. Michael Mann, who's obviously very solid on the science of all things climate, has this fantastic book. I know this kid is 14 and this book is not really aimed at teenagers. But if anyone's listening, going, gosh, my seven year old is also worried or any even older than that, to mm. be honest with you. There's a book called The Tantrum That Saved the World. I have it at home because I've had a bit of this in my own house mm. and I've now become much more climate informed myself because of it. But it's a fabulous book because it has very solid science without the scare. So it's not minimising the issue, but it's very much empowering children and young people to be the catalyst for change. And not relying just on the adults, but looking at what you can do, even though you're young. Also, you know, Dr. Cara Gustenberg, who did a podcast with this station, Down to Earth, she has really good information on those podcast episodes. And I would suggest to you, though, that you listen to episodes with him and that it's a shared learning experience because otherwise I would limit his exposure to media on this because there, like, you could go down a rabbit hole of oh, worry, no, couldn't you? If, if, if he hasn't... You see, that's... See, the thing is, for his generation, I, I'm starting to think that, that, that his generation view climate change in a more far more vivid way than perhaps the rest of us do because no it's question. something in the future. It's a... It's a you know, yeah. but, but, but even a cursory look at you know, a website or a newspaper every day will let him know that when he's our age, yep. that God knows what kind of world they'd be Absolutely. living in. So, so it's it's a it's a real thing, uh, and uh, real? in a way, you can't say don't minimize it because it's like terrifying. Oh no, and, and you can't be. because all you'll tell him is don't bring your worry to me. Yeah. Keep that to yourself. And also there are activists out there who would say we should be scaring our kids because it's a scary thing and we should load them with the real risk of this. But in truth with children depending on their development, fear is not a motivator. Fear actually will shut us down. You know, yeah, it'll say, yeah. well, there's no point. It'll bring despondency. So instead, it's about really sticking to set actions that can have impact with realistic, sustainable life change. So you might say, OK, as a family, we're going to nail recycling. 
And we're going to get the science, get the practice, and we won't be making mistakes with this going forward. And then you take another issue and you say, OK, we are going to research carbon neutral companies and we're going to be really aware of the products that we bring into our house and how we can make a change for that. And that's going to be your your issue focus. And you're going to build it that way because otherwise the whole issue is completely overwhelming. I find it really overwhelming myself. I have to yeah. kind of go, OK, what one thing can I do? Because otherwise it is terrifying because there is real fear in it. Yeah, because I mean, I have read about there is a kind of an eco despair as well. Absolutely. Particularly among people who were very involved as activists. Yes. Just gave up. Just, you know. Well, it's hard. You feel like you're pushing a boulder up a hill and nobody else is, is giving you a hand with that. But I also think joining in with some groups who are active and lobbying and into policy change and development, that might be a a space where he can feel supported and heard. Yeah. Uh, Just going back to the twins, uh, Caroline says, a pal worked this out really well. They could be given a small budget each and allowed to make their own a half uh, more their space. It could be a new bedding, part of a wall painted differently, a nightlight for the night Mm -hmm. out to read, etc. It might be a compromise for the two creative teams. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a go. Of course, money solves all problems, really. Well, be creative with what you've got. Yeah. 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 Joanna, thanks a million as ever. Thank Uh, you. Joanna Fortune there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. on News Talk.